G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. A conversation coming over this next hour. It may be a controversial conversation. We are going to be tackling some adult concepts and it may be wise if you have little ones around, just to shield those little ears from our conversation over this coming hour. We're going to be turning our attention today to Christians and sex. A mother and daughter team have undertaken extensive research surveying 20,000 Christian women about their sex lives, marriages and their beliefs about sex and marriage. Well, they never imagined what they might uncover, and they were surprised that most popular Christian resources missed some dimensions that may be causing more harm than good. Sheila Ray Gregoire and her daughter Rebecca Gregoire Lindenbach, along with an epidemiologist, Joanna Sawatsky, called their book The Great Sex Rescue, The Lies You've Been Taught and How to Recover What God Intended. Well, Sheila Ray Gregoire is also behind the website called to love, honor, and vacuum.com with a substantial following as a marriage blog. She's also the author of nine books, including The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. Sheila is on the line with us from Canada this morning. Sheila, a special welcome along to 2020. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Well, thank you for staying up a little later tonight in Canada to talk to us this morning here in Australia. <laughs> Wonderful to have you with us. Hey, your book, uh, I imagine it's uh, it's making a few ripples around the world. It is. And it's just been so great to hear from so many people about how it's really validating. I, I don't think we're saying anything that's that's that um, earth shattering in a lot of ways. I think this is all stuff we've all known. We just haven't been able to put words to. And so finally, we're putting words, we're putting stats, and we're saying, hey, everybody, let's just get back to what the Bible says about this stuff, and let's not add a lot of harmful stuff. Now, I suspect that the people you write for, the people that you do your blog for, are primarily women but let's not leave men out of our conversation today. Uh, how does your approach to the issues you cover uh, affect both women and also uh, how we might include men in all of that? What we were really looking at was what are the number one number two, number three issues in marriage when it comes to sex and how can we solve them? Because you know what? There's tons and tons and tons of issues, but there's certain ones that are huge (laughs) that affect more people than normal. And we thought if we can just take care of those problems, then we'll just solve a lot of issues for so many couples. And the main issues that we keep running across over and over again are women don't want sex enough and women don't enjoy sex enough. 
And if we can solve those two problems, I think that's kind of what guys want solved as well. Okay. <laughs> so um, it's it's really a freeing book for men. I was actually surprised at how many guys have been reading it, but we're glad. We wrote it for guys to read, but we weren't sure they would. But probably about half of our reviews in the US right now are from men, which is amazing. <laughs> Well, now let's talk about your research because you've surveyed 20,000 Christian women. So in any survey research language, that's a big sample. And I imagine those are women who, I guess, from around the world. Uh, Does it include anyone in Australia? Is it mainly Canadian women or U.S. women? Who was involved in this survey? It's certainly mostly American, but we had an amazing Australian contingent. I did a tour of Australia a couple of years ago, so I have a bunch of Australians on my email list, and I know a bunch of Australians were spreading the survey link around, so if any of you listening took that survey, thank you so much. I know it was like half an hour long and very intrusive, so we appreciate you very much. But yes, we had we had a lot of people, Britain, Canada, um, Europe, even Africa, so really great. Now, Sheila, 20,000 Christian women in the survey, and you said you never imagined what you might, that you did uncover. Uh, Take us to some of the interesting and uh, where there's a twist elements into the sorts of surprising things you did uncover. Well, let me give you one example. This is something I realized that I have been teaching wrong. I've been teaching on marriage and sex for roughly 13 years now. When I started my blog, I was mostly a mommy blogger, but I found that the more I wrote about sex, the more my traffic grew. So I kind of became the sex blog. And I've been trying to teach people how to prioritize sex, how to see it as a good thing, how to embrace it, how to enjoy it more, all of these all of these kinds of positive messages is what I thought. But one of the things that we found, which I thought was surprising, is that when you look at marriages that are not having sex, very few of them are the result of somebody just one day getting up and deciding, ah, I just don't feel like it anymore. The majority of sexless marriages are caused because something else is going on. And yet, when we hear about a sexless marriage, what we normally say is, well, that's a sin. You're not allowed to deprive someone. You can't just arbitrarily decide not to have sex. And so our response is, we need to get that person to start having sex again. And what we found in our survey is that that's not the right approach, because in most sexless marriages, there are several things going on. We found five big ones, and most sexless marriages have at least two to three of these, (laughs) okay? Either he's using porn, she has pain during sex, he has a sexual dysfunction, they are not emotionally connected, or she just never enjoys sex okay, and never orgasms. So, so it's not just like she just doesn't want to do it. There's a reason. All right. So there's three elements there. He's using porn, she's having pain, or he has a sexual dysfunction. These have remedies. These can be fixed. Uh, how do you go about mm-hmm. that? Well, it depends which one, obviously. But what what we're trying to say is we often think about frequency as a sign of success. You know, like if we're going to judge whether or not a sex life is healthy, we want to ask how frequently are they having sex? And what we found in our survey is that that's entirely the wrong question. Frequency tells us very little. <laughs> um, happy marriages tend to have sex more frequently. 
But having frequent sex does not give you a happy marriage. So the relationship only goes one way. <laughs> so what, and yet what we read in so many of our Christian literature is the message, especially to women, is this is something he needs and so you need to give it to him. Um, in Love and Respect, for instance, by Emerson Egerich says, if your husband is typical, he has a need that you don't have, and he will come under satanic attack if he doesn't get physical release. Okay. So, you know, the, the message given to women is really quite threatening. And so she might be having sex, but for the wrong reasons. And that's what ends up hurting sex in their marriage. And if she decides to say, no, I don't want to have sex, the risk is that he may well look elsewhere? Yes. Um, so what we did was we asked people, or we asked women, how do you rate your marriage? And how do you rate your sex life? And then we asked them about a whole bunch of different evangelical teachings around sex. And we asked if they had ever been taught them, or if they had ever believed them. And from that, we were able to identify four big teachings that are highly correlated with very negative sexual outcomes for women and negative marital outcomes. And one of those teachings, which really wrecked sex for women was this idea that women need to have frequent sex in order to keep their husbands from watching porn. When you tell women that, really bad stuff happens. Well, when we come to men in the equation there, the idea that porn is so freely and easily available, uh, the idea that some men will be using that as an alternative to sex and therefore not having their desire for their wife, how do you deal with those sorts of things? Well, that's actually a really good point that you just brought up. In fact, you just brought up a point that most evangelical books do not bring up. So kudos to you. Good. <laughs> you, you just said that he would be using porn instead of desiring his wife or something like that. Yeah. That is very true. And that's what often happens. See, when a man uses porn, um, what it does is it, it satisfies his sexual response and his sexual desires. And so he often loses desire for his wife because porn trains his brain to be aroused by an image or a video rather than a woman. And he's learning to associate sexual arousal and response with objectifying and dehumanizing stimulation rather than a relationship. And so the more he uses porn, the less he's going to want his wife. And yet the message that we're given in our books is you need to have sex to stop him from watching porn. And so many wives of porn addicts are saying, I would love to have sex. He's the one who's turning me down. <laughs> okay, let's talk through some other sort of big issues and we might be able to unpack some things. And I want to invite listeners to join in our conversation today too. So we'll open our talkback line on 1-800-316-316. You might have a question, you might have a comment, you might have a critique about our conversation. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Uh, Sheila, what about this idea? And let's tackle a number of big issues in here. The idea that somehow or other sex should not be so pleasurable for women. Is that a challenge? <laughs> I don't think anybody would have said it that way. 
I don't think anybody would say women's sexual pleasure doesn't matter. It's just that what they do is they never mention it. Like Emerson Egerton, Love and Respect, never once mentions that women can feel pleasure too. Um, in Shanti Feldon's book for women only, she says that what husbands really need is to feel like you're emotionally involved and enthusiastic about sex. They don't just need release, which is actually a good thing. But then she goes on to say that if you can't physically respond, you need to reassure him and affirm him anyway. She never says, if you can't physically respond, it's okay to speak up and say, hey, can we figure out how to make this feel good for me too? And that's missing from so many of our marriage books is this idea that it's okay for a woman to want to feel pleasure as well and that her pleasure should matter. Okay, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Phil in Western Australia. Hello, Phil. Welcome. Good morning. Yes. Phil, uh, what are your thoughts? Yep, uh, thoughts are, um, I just want to say in my relationship, in my marriage, um, the, there has been an issue, a problem, and that I've felt uh, for myself is that, yes, I enjoy my wife, and love her. I think she's beautiful and, and that. But the thing is, what had, uh, and now that I'm getting you know, a little bit older, I mean, you know, I won't say how old I am, but um, the thing is, um, what got me was the fact that there, in our relationship and our physical relationship, how it's, okay, it's been good, but it's one of the things that sort of, I guess, if, if you like, plainly, if it, what turned me off a little bit and what made me think was the negativity from my wife and things being said of accusations being made to me that ha- that things weren't happening um, in the relationship and that being ri- that being written down and and those and and not being able to deal with those issues uh, but her not believing me and that actually put a, a, a lot of pressure on me. The other thing, too, is what we need to consider, too, in a relationship and uh, is that if in a relationship of the two that the woman perhaps has been, or the wife, has in previously in her, at some stage or whatever, has been sexually abused, not by the husband, but in, in, some, in something. This has been a big thing in Australia. Phil, that- there's a couple of really big points you're making in here, and uh, I wonder whether we can touch on those briefly. Uh, Sheila, have you any thoughts for Phil? Well, I just want to say, I think he was about to go into um, the issue of sexual abuse and how that affects both men and women. Let's remember that, um, well, I don't know what the figures are in Australia, but it's one in four women in the US and one in nine men have been sexually abused. And I just want to reiterate and reassure you that there are evidence-based therapies now that can help deal with trauma. And I want to encourage people to please see a licensed therapist who's trained in evidence-based trauma therapies, because this should not be your story. We, we, if somebody stole your childhood or your teenagehood, please let's not give them the opportunity to steal your marriage. And I know this is a hard thing to unpack, but there really are some amazing therapies now, EMDR, 
um, lots of other ones that, that therapy, therapists are trained in. And so I just encourage people listening to seek that out because you should not be stuck. Um, I think what Phil was saying too, by just feeling accused by his wife about many things, that does steal sex. It totally does. And I think this is an important point is that sex is not just physical. You know, sex is about an emotional connection as well. And when that emotional connection is broken, it's very difficult for sex to work well. And so pay attention attention to the rest of your marriage. If something's up in your marriage, it's not going to change unless you do something about it and unless you change. And so that might mean insisting seeing a licensed therapist, um, sitting down and talking about what's really going on. But yeah, those are real issues. And if you're feeling distant, you're allowed to feel distant. And and let's address that because that's, that's important. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. And just a note for listeners, it is an adults-only conversation we're having. If you have little ones around, it might be wise to shield little ears as we continue our conversation with Sheila Ray Gregoire, whose new book is called The Great Sex Rescue, The Lies You've Been Taught and How to Recover What God Intended. 1-800-316-316. You can also respond to a Facebook question we have, our 2020 Facebook question asking today, how do you think Christians are supposed to define sex and have we been getting it wrong? You can find that at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Sheila, we'll take some more calls as we go, but let me ask you, uh, there's one element here which, uh, again, is one of those priorities from your research that you cover in your book. It's called an obligation sex message. What do you mean by that? Yeah, this was one of the four messages that we found to be the most toxic. And what we were measuring was what happens when women believe a wife is obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it. And when that does happen, her orgasm rates go down, her libido goes down, her marital satisfaction goes down. But to give you just an example of the how deep this problem goes... Believing that you are obligated to give your husband sex has the same statistical effect on the increased chance that she's going to experience sexual pain as prior abuse does. Okay, and let me spell that out what that means for you. So when women are abused, they are more likely to experience something called vaginismus, which is a sexual dysfunction disorder, a pain disorder that they can have. And Believing the obligation sex message does almost the same thing to your body as being abused because both of them say to her, your needs don't matter. He has the right to use you whenever he wants to. And that's a very common teaching in evangelical resources. It's a misinterpretation, I believe, of 1 Corinthians 7. Um, and I, I hope that one of the big things coming out of the Great Sex Rescue is that we can find that there is a much healthier way to talk about frequency and the importance of sex without making it into an obligation or a duty. Because quite frankly, most guys don't want duty sex either. No, uh, duty sex, not good sex. And interestingly here, when we talk about, sometimes we talk about the most important sex organ being the mind, uh, what we're talking about here is how our mind 
interrupts the way that we might actually receive that sexual pleasure and enjoy the intimacy with our spouse. Uh, so how do you deal with that sort of thing when, you, when you're talking about, well, lots of these things that you are talking about obviously are, are things that we're perceiving and this is happening in our mind. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just give you one example. And it, you were talking about people talking about this on your Facebook page, so I might preempt some of those people and give them the answer that you're asking them. But even when we talk about sex, what is the definition of that? What do we mean when we say that? Because if I were to ask you, which I'm not going to do, Neil, so you don't need to worry, but if I were to ask you, did you have sex last night? You know, what you're thinking that I'm asking you resembles something about intercourse. Like, did you do this particular act? The problem with that being our definition is that it really ignores her experience. She could be lying there making a grocery list in her head, not really engaged. She could be in emotional turmoil. She could even be in pain and it would still count as having sex. And that's not the way the Bible talks about it. You know, when you look to scripture, in Genesis 4, we read Adam knew his wife Eve. Sex is a deep knowing. It's a deep, intimate connection. That's why God uses sexual imagery to talk about his relationship with us. So we know sex is intimate. We know from Song of Solomon that sex is pleasurable for both. And we know from 1 Corinthians 7 that it's totally mutual. So sex is not one-sided intercourse. Sex is something mutual, pleasurable, and intimate. And if we get that picture, then we'll get away from this whole obligation idea and we'll get to something which is life-giving rather than soul-crushing. Now, because of the predominance of porn and men being the primary users, and I'm speculating there, some people think that uh, women use porn a lot more these days too, but when you're talking porn, you're actually leaving intimacy out For men listening to our conversation today and wondering about their own sexual experience within their marriage and even battling with issues like porn, this idea of learning intimacy, is this important? Yes, and I think what what we need to understand is that sex and porn are not substitutes for one another. Porn is a using of someone. It's a dehumanizing and often degrading using of someone to serve your own needs. Whereas sex is supposed to be this deep, intimate knowing. And so when we think of sex as something which wives do to, to stop their husbands from using porn, um, Every Man's Battle, for instance, says that wives can be a merciful vial of methadone for him when he's quitting lust, which is highly problematic and dehumanizing and awful to say it that way. Um, but it misses the entire point, which is the way that you quit porn is you have to understand the underlying uh, reasons that you were drawn to porn. You have to deal with the wounds that it caused. But most of all, you have to be willing to open up to your wife and show her the wounds that you have. Show her some of the shame. Admit this stuff. Put it behind you. Get some real accountability and learn to be vulnerable with one another. With porn, you never have to be vulnerable. And that's probably the hardest lesson in getting over porn. It's not just quitting the porn. It's learning how to relate in a healthy way to someone else. A very quick response because we're going to news. How much of this way we have difficulties with this level of intimacy that's required for good sex 
tax is being passed down to us from generation to generation? I know that's a big question, but a quick response on that. I think what we've done is we have made sex into something which is largely physical and we just don't talk about the intimacy aspect of it. When we talk about sex as a husband needing physical release, it's such a pale imitation of what God intended. And I just hope that at least for the next generation, we can have a much better conversation. Sheila, you've been to Australia. You mentioned your visit and you've traveled something like 7,000 kilometers. You've seen more of our countryside than many people listening to our (laughs) conversation today. How long ago was that? And uh, you were speaking when you were in Australia. Was there anything special you picked up with Australian audiences? Oh, we just had such a fun time. We rented this tiny camper van because we didn't want to spend a lot of money. And my husband was worried about driving on the wrong side of the road. Um, But we drove, yeah, about 7,000 kilometers all over. Um, We got up to Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, everywhere. And I remember we watched Harry and Meghan's wedding in someone's living room. You know what the most surprising thing for me was, though, was you guys don't have heating in your houses. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least not the way we do. (laughs) I know. And so I... I found myself really cold a lot of the time. I think I was there exactly three years ago. And it's just funny because in Canada, we're always just so warm, even when it's freezing, because we just bundle up. So it's just different. And I think some of our listeners might take issue with the idea that we drive on the wrong side of the road. I Excuse me. <laughs> you're the ones driving on the wrong side of the road. You have got an online live event that's coming up at the end of this month. And for listeners who have been fascinated by and even challenged by part of the conversation as we've had it already in this uh, past half hour uh, this online event event coming up you're going to be talking through issues in the great sex rescue Uh, is there a particular topic you're covering uh, that is, is part of your book Well, we just want to free women. So I'm going to go into all of the teachings that can harm. And I just want women to know if sex has never been that good for you, maybe it's not your fault. And maybe there's a way forward that's actually pretty easy. Let's just let go of the stuff that's holding us back. And I just want to give women permission (laughs) to to understand sex the way God really intended it and not a lot of guilt messages. I will mention this towards the end of our conversation too, but to be a part of that event that's coming up on the 29th of May, you can register at thegreatsexrescue.eventbrite.com.au. You'd need to register to be a part of that. Uh, We'll talk about that some more shortly. Let's take some more calls. Let's start with an anonymous caller from Western Australia. Hello, welcome along. Oh, thank you. I heard that stat that one in nine men have received sexual abuse, such as from a bad relative. But my experience as a four-year-old was when I was discovering myself sexually, my mother smacked me each time, and this happened on on about half a dozen occasions. I've been told that my sexual development was stopped at that stage, and ever since I've never been able to have an intimate relationship, and I'm in my 60s now. Can you give me feedback, please, what to do? And something about this MDR therapy you mentioned? Sheila, your thoughts for our listener? Yes, please seek out a licensed therapist. That is a form of trauma that was done to you, and that is very serious, and I'm very sorry. Um, but there are trauma therapists that can help. So just find a licensed therapist, Google it, um, and when you call them, ask 
what trauma therapies they're trained in. Not every licensed therapist is trained in trauma treatments, but many are. And I, I want to reiterate to the parents listening, when a four-year-old is touching themselves, that is not masturbation. That is exploration. That is normal. And we should never, ever do what this man's uh, mother did to him. You know, if you don't, just simply say, "Han, we don't do that in public. You can run to your bedroom now or just don't make a big deal out of it. <laughs> and kids usually resolve it on their own. Okay, thank you so much to that caller. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. James is in Sydney. Hello, James. Welcome along. Hi, how you going? Good, James. Uh, I'm just... Um, so, my thoughts are on, on female hormone change when they get to a certain age. And I know there's um, medication that can be taken or therapy, but what other... Treatments are there besides um, medications. James, interesting one on menopause or women here. Uh, Sheila, for James? Um, you really just need to talk to your doctor. Women all go through menopause very differently. Some women breeze through it and actually love it. Um, and some women have horrible times. Um, and if your doctor, if her doctor isn't listening to her and isn't helping, find another one. Um, talk to a naturopath. Often changing diet can really help, but it's important to talk to a medical provider that takes your concerns seriously, especially if you're not, if she's not sleeping, um, if she's lost sense um in any area like if she just if she just is finding things really difficult keep talking to medical providers because there are there are a whole bunch of different treatments and even if one thing didn't work something else might james thank you so much for your call let's hear from jonathan in perth wa hi jonathan welcome yeah, hello neil jonathan. you know as a, the the speaker was speaking i remember I only enjoy sex when we had the honeymoon, but from there, because my wife had been removing pregnancies, and she got great effect in your home, so there had been a talk show in our marriage. She refusing, even though I believe biblically that sex is not just one side satisfaction, according to what she was saying. It should be both parties. You may plan what to come together. It's not just you forcing your wife or because I want to release something from me. No, it's not so. It's more than that. But uh, it has been a talk show in our family, in my marriage, because of the one way my wife has been affected. Uh, Jonathan, uh, I'm not sure if you picked up everything Jonathan was saying there. Any thoughts for Jonathan, Sheila? Um, I... I- didn't pick it all up, but I think the question is his wife is refusing him. Um, and I, I would say that is a really serious thing, but what we need to figure out is why. Um, and telling someone they can't refuse can actually make the problem worse. Uh, and so I think it's really important to talk to a counselor or sit down, read The Great Sex Rescue with her. There's a lot of questions in there. There's a lot of ways that she can think about things differently, that you can think about things differently, that you can have good conversations. Sometimes women honestly just grow up with such terrible messages about sex that it makes us hate it or want to run away from it. Um, but sometimes often husbands can reinforce those messages without meaning to. Um, and, and so I think having those open conversations is is important but let's remember that when someone refuses that 
is a sign that there's something else going on. And it's not going to get better until you address what that something else is. Jonathan, I hope that was helpful. 1-800-316-316 to be part of our conversation. Let's take another call. Linda is also in Perth. Hi, Linda. Welcome. Thank you. Um, My question is, uh, with your survey that you did of the the 20,000 women, was masturbation a question that you asked? Because um, reading material... Uh, they often say that um, people that are deep into masturbation, that also has an ongoing effect on their sexual ability to express to their spouse. So I'd be very interested in what your feedback is on that, that uh, side of marriage. Sheila, your thoughts for Linda? Yeah, we didn't specifically ask about that. There was a reason for it, which I, I won't elaborate on here because it's hard to explain. But um, yes, other surveys have found that uh, masturbation when used compulsively can definitely make sex worse because what it does is it trains your body to think of sex as something which is serving you rather than you serving someone else. Um, and you wouldn't believe the number of emails I get uh, from mostly women, but often men to um, saying, my husband masturbates in the shower every morning and we never have sex. Um, and so masturbation, if it's like two people having fun together, that's one thing. If it's if you're ever using it to steal sexual energy from someone, if you're using it as a shortcut to avoid intimacy, it's poison in the marriage and you need to look at that, you need to stop it and you need to go back to what... Uh, your spouse really needs. Linda, thank you so much for your question. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. What's coming through in some of the things we've been talking about, Sheila, is this idea is if you're going to get help uh, to get your sex life back on track and make that an enjoyable, intimate experience, you're not necessarily going to have to do this on your own. You have to do this together. Any thoughts here on getting of one mind here if you're talking about Christian marriages being one-minded about getting your sex life back on track? One of the things we found in our focus groups, because we didn't just do the survey, we also did a bunch of focus groups afterwards, and we spoke to a lot of women who had hated sex at one point, and then things changed. And we asked them, well, what changed? And inevitably what happened was they had a moment where they sat down with their husbands and they said, I can't keep doing it like this anymore. And in so many cases, what they told us is that my husband didn't even realize I was thinking about sex the way I was. My husband didn't even realize I was believing this obligation sex message. And my husband told me, I don't want you to do things just for me. I don't ever want you to do something you don't want to do. And when the husband set them free to say no, no, it was like they finally learned how to say yes. It was like their whole sexuality changed and awakened. But the starting point was they sat down and they talked about it. And, you know, so many couples are reading The Great Sex Rescue together. A lot of men don't understand the messages women have internalized because women read 74 to 78% of all marriage books. <laughs> so a lot of men have not heard the negative messages. They have no idea the stuff that women have internalized. And so just having that conversation can help free everybody from some of this toxic stuff. 
Because you know what? Most spouses really do want the best for each other. And so if we get rid of this, we can get to real intimacy. Sheila, let's come back to Christian marriages. And uh, if God is the designer of sex, he must have some good ideas as to how it works best. Uh, You've got Christian marriages, and perhaps you can compare those to non-Christian marriages. And then, of course, you do have those. And, of course, uh, we're promoting, of course, uh, always on this program that uh, sex is for a monogamous relationship within marriage, a lifelong relationship, then there are those who are saying, oh, I don't want that Christian stuff. Uh, Try the de facto route and try before you buy. If you're comparing the different ways people choose to pursue a sexual experience, uh, did there was there anything positive that came out in your research uh, that might uh, show that Christian marriages are actually a wonderful thing? Well, well, you know what? Ours wasn't the only survey, but so many large-scale surveys have found that the best sex happens in marriage and often with religious people. And I think it's because we understand the threefold nature of sex, that it isn't only physical. There's also that spiritual intimacy component. There's the emotional relational component. And when you have all three working together, sex gets really wonderful. And the good news is that most people, well, almost most people, 48% of women, 95% of men, (laughs) you know, are experiencing the kind of sex that we would want. Um, but there's still a lot of room to grow. And so we're doing better than than non-Christians, but we still have some room to grow. So I, I hope that, uh, that people will start thinking about these issues and realizing, hey, if sex isn't as good as it's supposed to be, then maybe I should make this the most fun research project we'll ever do together. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you talk about that dimension, that spiritual dimension, as you say, you know, those three ways, the best sex happening in marriage and especially with religious people, some people might think it's a little bit creepy to invite God into your bedroom, but how mm-hmm. do you actually explain how that spiritual side works to enhance your intimate sexual experience? All, all I mean is that that sense that this is about oneness, that sex is not just about me getting my needs met, but this is something that we are experiencing together in order to reaffirm our commitment and show each other that we love each other. You know, like pray over each other's bodies, look in each other's eyes, say each other's names, you know, do these sorts of things which make it a really highly personal experience. Even pray beforehand, like pray for your kids. Seriously, like I used to tell my husband, when I hear you pray for my daughters, that makes me hot because that's my daughters are the most important things to me. (laughs) And so, you know, when I hear his heart for my girls, that really unites us. And so, you know, just do these things that make it something that's personal and intimate and special for you and not only the physical. And what you'll find is that the physical is actually better. I remember before I got married, and uh, going back now, I've been married for 34 years, uh, my parents-in-law gave me a book uh, intended for pleasure by Ed Wheat. He's uh, Mm -hmm. quite popular, been around for a long, long time. Just to pick on this idea that parents might actually have some responsibility for uh, unleashing a wonderful sexual experience in their children, is this something that parents need to be thinking about when their children are getting to marriage age and not taking for granted that everybody just knows all about sex instantly and that there are some good resources you can share into that experience? 
Oh, yes, please, before your kids get married, <laughs> get them the Great Sex Rescue or, you know, the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. We have a great book, 231 Days to Great Sex. Like, get a good sex book. But I would really encourage parents, even before that, when your kids are teenagers, just keep talking. You know, keep the lines of communication open. You don't get to have the sex talk with your kids because it's not a single talk. It's, it's a conversation topic that's going to go on for years. And that's how we raise kids that are healthy is we just keep the lines of communication open so they know that we can, that they can talk to us. And if kids are really freaked out talking to you as your parent, then make sure that you're talking to your nieces and that your sister is talking to your kids or something like that. <laughs> you know? Okay. So. All right. Now let's come back to this event that's on later this month, the 29th of May, when people are making an appointment uh, to be on that, uh, registering to be a part of the Great Sex Rescue and a conversation with you. It's an online event. Uh, the sorts of things, uh, I imagine you want couples on there and not just individuals. Uh, I, su- I suppose anyone who registers, you're going to be happy if they do. But but is it worth uh, just prompting your partner to actually make that an event that two people can be a part of? <laughs> I think it's designed mostly for women, but no one's going to fault any guy who listens in. But <laughs> but I, I will be talking more um, towards women about some of the ways that we've been taught about sex, how to free ourselves from shame and from guilt and from awkwardness and embrace ourselves as sexual beings um, and just have fun. Uh, and I'm sure that if guys listen, they'll probably learn something too. <laughs> okay. Now that event, it's an online event with Sheila coming up on Saturday the 29th of May, the Great Sex Rescue dot eventbrite dot com dot au. The Great Sex Rescue dot eventbrite dot com dot au. There's also some details about that with uh, the primary sponsor for that event, which is businessblessings.com.au. There is an events tab there that you can uh, get a hold of as well. Sheila, your blog, the uh, the one that's on the website, To Love, Honor and Vacuum, you've got a huge following around the world and you've already got those Australian followers as well. I imagine uh, a few more friends on that blog would be uh, finding some really great resource from you. What do you talk about typically in your To Love, Honor and Vacuum website? (laughs) We talk a lot about sex. I have a new post up every day. We have a podcast on Thursdays, the Bear Marriage Podcast, which is always really fun. Today's post, or I guess it's yesterday for you, (laughs) but today's, yesterday's post was on 18 things I would tell 16-year-old me about sex and relationships. So that was, that got a lot of great feedback, especially on Facebook. So you can go check that out. Okay. Now that come back to that question I was asking listeners on Facebook today. How do you think Christians are supposed to define sex and have we been getting it wrong? Uh, There's been a comment or two. Has feminism over the years impacted women's view of sex? Is there a a quick way we can address that type of question? I think that we've we've often accused feminism of wrecking sex, but I don't think that's really the right question. Because when we start making things political and into isms, we're missing the point. And the point is, what does the Bible say? And the Bible says that sex is mutual, intimate and physical. And what's happened in our Christian resources is not that we've gone too far to the women's side, it's that we've actually ignored the women's side. You know, let me just end with this. I know we're getting ready to wrap up. But the one topic that all of our bestsellers missed 
was consent. We never talked about consent. And in fact, many of our bestsellers had incidents of marital rape in the books and discounted it. Um, We're never going to have good sex lives if we don't value women's experience and if we don't see sex as something which is dignifying and which is humanizing. Um, When we make it solely about a husband's physical release and when we tell women they have to have sex or very bad things will happen, like he'll lust, we really wreck sex for both people and that's never what God intended. And there's so much better out there. And so I, I just pray that we can change the evangelical conversation about sex to get back to something beautiful. Interesting as you raise the issue of consent because that's a growing debate here in Australia, but uh, the issue of consent being taken way outside of marriage in that context, and uh, there are movements here in Australia to put that conversation into the classroom and uh, concerns about sexualizing children, which has got some problem areas to it. But when people think of consent, uh, they're thinking of singles, they're thinking of datings. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking consent, this is something that does go right through into our marriage relationship into our older years. How do you think that issue of consent has been a a problem for women? And uh, and is there an easy way to resolve that for, for partners listening in today? If you cannot truly say no, you can't say yes. And what's happened in marriage is that women have been told it is a sin to say no. We aren't supposed to deprive each other. But the thing we're not supposed to deprive each other of is a mutual, pleasurable, intimate sex life. It isn't one-sided intercourse. And when a woman is being pressured to have one-sided intercourse, you're already missing the biblical mark. Um, And so we need to get back to allowing people (laughs) to have some autonomy and to say, no, this isn't the right time. So many of our resources tell women, even during pregnancy, even during your postpartum phase, you must give him sexual favors or he's going to lust. You know, when she's just pushed out a baby, I think that she needs some time and that she maybe needs to be the primary consideration there. Um, so let's, let's tell people that we need to value each other as people. A woman is not a body to use. She is a person to love. And God loves her and God loves him and God wants us to treat each other well. And if consent's not part of that conversation, then we really have missed what God intended. Well, Sheila, I suspect lots of listeners and perhaps especially women would love to hear us go on and on today, but we do have to draw our conversation to a close. So much more we could talk about. But let me just mention that online event. It's coming up the 29th of May. To register for that, the Great Sex Rescue dot eventbrite.com.au uh, details at the major sponsor businessblessings.com.au and the link there is for events I'll mention that website where people can go to and check out your blogs Sheila to love honor and vacuum uh, dot com 
And uh, so uh, those are the ways that you can uh, respond there. There is also that Facebook question that's on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. You can contribute to that beyond our conversation today. How do you think Christians are supposed to define sex and have we been getting it wrong? I want to say a special thank you to Sheila Ray Gregoire, who is the author, the co-author of the book we've been talking about today, and uh, you can get a hold of that book. I just, I guess, you just simply Google it online to get a hold of uh, this new book. Uh, it's the Great Sex Rescue: The Lies You've Been Taught and How to Recover What God Intended. Sheila, thanks so much for taking some time to share your heart with us today on Twenty Twenty. Well, thank you. It's been so wonderful to be here. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.